this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we're kicking off uh, a a new roundtable series. Our first series, Jay. Mm-hmm. We we piloted this last year. We did a uh, a test run with our uh, Australia episode, and uh, we got a positive feedback on that. Mm-hmm. So we're we're trying something where. I'm I'm currently calling this "Digging Your Scene" because it's a play on the title of the podcast. Wow! Yeah, and uh, we're gonna dig people's scenes from all around the world and talk cool. to people who have been a part of the scenes of various cities from uh, what we consider the most important decade in the history of rock and roll, the '90s. Yeah, People say the 50s and 60s, but clearly the 90s were the most important. And um, we're going to talk about the history of those cities. We're going to talk about uh, the, how the city was founded in the uh, you know hundreds of years. Be- no, we're not getting that far. <laughs> we're going to talk about the bands from the 90s, what bands influenced those bands, mm-hmm. uh, what, were, what was the scene like in the 90s. And um, we're starting out with uh, a city that... I think after Seattle, which I, I'm pretty sure we don't need to do an episode on Seattle. I think Seattle's been covered. We've talked about it a lot, but... Right. Who knows? Maybe we'll get to it. We'll find an angle for it. I don't know how we'd find a new angle on Seattle. We'll find but, something. You could do non-grunge bands. Basically, right. if, oh. if, you, if, you were on, if you were not on the Billboard chart, fair game. The, the, the Seattle Jam Band episode. <laughs> <laughs> As everyone turns it off right now. Wow, yeah, that would be a that'd be a bad choice for us because uh, uh, I don't I don't think we're gonna have a jam bound episode in general, let alone focus on Seattle jam bands. But uh, we're gonna do Chicago, which Chi-Town Heat. That's right, the Windy City. The uh, whatever nicknames I can't think of right now. Yeah. Are there, is there anything else besides the Windy City? Yeah, you City of stop. Big Shoulders. Right. You, you you can stop right now. Second city. Just keep just keep moving on. Just okay. Monsters of the Midway. Okay. <laughs> the Mid Coast. Chicago, uh, in uh, in a lot of ways, is is potentially the second most important city when it comes to. I mean, Boston might argue that there might have to be a, a some sort of a bracket since we're in March Madness. Mm-hmm. We might be able to have to do a city by city breakdown of the second most important city of the '90s we, in terms we can of music. Take Blake babies and Lemonheads any day. Well, I think in terms of volume, yeah, because there's a lot of loud music coming can, out of Chicago. We can take the Pixies. I'll, I'll I'll put Scott Lucas up against Frank Black anytime. Whoa, I'm fighting words. <laughs> this might have to. I, I might actually have to do this. That I'm might be another a... type of roundtable <laughs> where we actually uh, have two different cities and they have to fight. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good idea. Warrior style. All right, that sounds good. Uh, so joining us for this particular episode. We have a, a, a select group of folks with uh, knowledge of our chosen city, starting with the only person who's actually in Chicago at the moment, Mr. Andy Dare, joining us. Andy, hey welcome guys. back to the show. Yep. Thank you so much for having me. I'm about 20 miles west of Chicago out here in the burbs, but I'm in and out all the time, so see shows and stuff and whatnot. Is that considered like the the burbs in terms of like Columbus extends well beyond what would be considered Columbus proper, but it's still considered Columbus. Is it still considered Chicago where you're at or is it considered like another town? I talked to some people like in Logan Square, they think I, they, they consider Westmont to be might as well be Montana. But uh, then you talk to people out here, like in Joliet, they think I'm in the city. So it's it's kind of a whole mix there. Juliet, doesn't isn't that in the Blues Brothers? Yeah, that's more to the west. That's southwest of even where I'm at. That's probably forty miles to the southwest of Chicago. Juliet, Jake. 
Yeah, I like having the backyard and the SUV and stuff, but then I also like going to the city to see shows, record stores, whatnot. So, By the way, the majority of my understanding of Chicago is based on the movie The Blues Brothers. Can't uh, go wrong. Driving through the city uh, <laughs> was pretty much based on upper whacker, lower whacker, and all that <laughs> stuff from that movie. So nice. I apologize to uh, the uh, people of Chicago for being fairly ignorant of your city. Uh, the other person currently residing in Chicago, but not currently in Chicago, in, in parts unknown, uh, Mr. Jim Copany. Jim, how are you? Uh, I, I'm good. I, I mean, I am on vacation, but I do live in Bucktown, and Andy, we do view where you live to be um, Montana. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then joining us from the uh, city just north of me, up to 71, City of Clevesburg, Annie Zaleski. Annie, what is your ties? What are, what are your ties to uh, Chicago? I, you mentioned to them earlier, but I, I thought you probably should bring up because I may have everybody go around and talk about their time in Chicago and stuff. But uh, so what are your I, ties? I used to live in St. Louis, and I probably uh, I went to shows in Chicago so many times I can't even tell you. Like I could probably I could hop on fifty five and get there in my sleep. And growing up in Cleveland, I don't know how you feel, but like, I feel like Chicago, all of the bands that played there were big in Cleveland. Yeah. For like, for, I'm, I'm not entirely, whether there's radio support or just because it was like, you know, basically a stop on the way to New York. But like every single band that was huge was also like really popular in Cleveland. I'm pretty sure that's a, that's an excellent like Chicago band compilation album. We were big in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> how far of a drive is it from St. Louis to Chicago? Uh, well, it depends on how fast you're going. Um, five hours, generally, it's like 300 miles. But I think the fastest I ever got there was four and a half hours, maybe. All <laughs> right. If the state troopers are out or not. <laughs> Again, we bring it back to Blues Brothers with the uh, with the state troopers. Um, that's, a, that's about how far it is from Cleveland, too, right? Maybe it's six a hours? Little, a little longer, yeah, about yeah. six hours. Yeah, because it's about six hours from Columbus as well, because I've made that drive... A couple times. So, Andy, are you uh, are you a born and raised Chicago suburban, or uh, what's your history with the city? Oh yeah, I grew up out here. I uh, I went to Columbia downtown, lived on Wabash for about a year and a half. I'd say about ten years ago. But uh, yeah, I always like coming back out to the suburbs, having a nice breath of fresh air. But at the same time, I go back and forth all the time, almost every weekend. Jim, you as well, originally from Chicago. Uh, yeah, I was actually born here, moved around a lot, ended up back here in the late 80s and kind of just came up through that scene. Excellent. So here's the first question I want to ask everybody. We'll go around the room. Um, what was the first show you saw in Chicago that made you think, oh, there's, I, there's, a, there's like something going on here? In terms of whether it was a Chicago band that was either opening or it was a whole band of, or a whole show of uh, Chicago bands or a headlining Chicago band that maybe you were like, hey, this band was playing Garages five months ago and now they're headlining, um, I don't know, pick venue that I don't know. The Metro? Is that one in Chicago? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, there we go. Annie, I'll start with you since I wrapped up with you last time what was the first show you went to in chicago that made an impression on you like that oh man that is i I'm, of course you're gonna start with me you know <laughs> the nice thing but i was always jealous and i still am of chicago because when like tours come over like like uk bands that are really cool they pretty much do new york la san francisco and like chicago so like one of like i think one of my most memorable shows is when swerve driver reunited a couple years ago I went to see them at the Metro with the Life and Times, and I think there was another opener. But, like, I was, like, in the first – it's, like, a two-level, like, kind of club. So I was, like, in the balcony on the front row basically getting my, like, ears blown off by just this, like, massive wall of sound. And it was amazing. Like, it was just, like, it was a small room. There was a ton of energy. And, like, to this day, I still remember, like, what an amazing experience it was. And I've seen them since, but nothing has come close to that. That's a good show. I uh, they came to Columbus and they played a bar essentially, a tiny bar, last fall, and I made the mistake of standing directly front row, 
in the bar right in front of Adam Franklin's amp. And I almost threw up after the first song because I was so queasy from how loud his amp was. I had to walk to the back of the room to like get my bearings because he was so freaking loud. That's uh, That was a big mistake on my part. <laughs> so I can understand the volume even at the farther back level. Jim, being uh, someone who moved around and whatnot, did you see shows um, when you were younger, before you left, or was it more when you moved back? It was actually, um, for me, like I went to college at Illinois State, so I would see a lot of the bands that were playing in Chicago, they would come down there. Like we'd see the Blue Meanies, we'd see Naked Ray Gun, and then when I moved up to Chicago, I'd see them in like an actual concert environment, it would blow my mind. But then we'd also get like the weird bands from all over like uh, Troll Fest Action or uh, Fig Dish, and like they were all coming up at the same time along with like Liz Fair and Urge Overkill, so I, I happened to come into like the Chicago scene at just the right time. Like things were all exploding and we were just seeing an amazing amount of talent at the same time. Cool. Um, Andy, so you lived in Chicago or in the Chicago area pretty much the whole time. What was we, could, we could just could we could, could we course correct and say Andy lives in Montana? Okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you lived far and had to make a long drive into Chicago. Murphy's borough. Yeah. <laughs> what were some of the early shows or, or an early show that made an impression on you? Actually, it was my first show, February 96. Um, I think I've discussed it before on the show, but uh, Blur, headlining the aforementioned Metro. and But the cool thing was the opening band was the Pulsars. And, uh, mm. yeah, I saw them. They had great songs, but they didn't have everything together yet. Like, the singer just looked like... He was drunk. He was kind of overweight. It, it didn't seem like he was coming all together. And then I saw him a year later opening for Supergrass, and they had signed to Almost Sounds, and they had a budget. And uh, it was a completely different band, different sound, and it was it was like Boston was playing or something. And it was just two guys still, but it was still just a wall of sound. They looked happy. They looked uh, fulfilled, and they, they rocked it. It was so typical. So that's that's the Trumpio brothers, right? Yeah, that's the Trumpios. Yep. And um, um, I think one of them still has a studio out in LA now. Like, there's there's still kind of an ongoing concern. I don't think they're doing the Pulsars anymore. But I mean, definitely. You're right. I, I I actually had him on my show last year, and uh, he's yeah, King Size Sound Labs was the thing, yep. and it was in Wicker Park for like a decade, and uh, yeah, no, then he were, moved. They sorry, were, they, were, they were kind of tastemakers of the scene too. Like you're right when they when they started off, they were kind of a sloppy mess. Yeah. But by the of it, they were monsters. Yeah, and it's an interesting story because then they did that one classic album in 97, and then it took them three, four years to get the label to agree to do another one. At that point, their heart wasn't into it. They were they were making more money producing stuff. Right. He's he's worked with Wilco. He's worked with uh, Mekons, a dozen bands. So. Right. Same thing as like the Webb Brothers, who like did two amazing albums and then just went off into left field because they were like, oh, we can make more money writing commercial jingles. Why not? Sure. sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That was an early mind blowing moment for me. So you guys have mentioned a couple of Chicago bands. I, I want to get in a little bit of the the scene, the the bands that, in terms of. Uh, the bands that exist in the nineties, what were some of the bands that sort of paved the way in, in terms of the underground or alternative scene in the eighties? I've heard Naked Ray Gun, that band mentioned. I've I've heard some of the the Albini bands like Big Black. What are the some of the other bands that people should be familiar with from the eighties era that were the precursors to what happened in Chicago in the nineties? Jim, do you have some thoughts on those? actually really good <laughs> because the 80s were basically just punk rock explosion like so many bands that no longer exist any longer didn't really i don't i don't know if they paved the way sound wise as much as they did just establishing chicago as a place where you could play anywhere all the time and i think naked ray gun is 
by far the um, forefront of that scene. Like they're the guys that made it obvious that you could change your sound from show to show because many people don't know this, but early on Naked Reagan was like an almost an art band. Like they would com completely change the way they attack songs. And um, over, over the years that just turned into what Chicago was about. I mean, that's what gave us Tortoise. That's what gave us Seam. I mean, that's that's what gave us Thrill Jockey. It's, it, 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 that idea was what built the Chicago scene. The fact that you could be whoever you wanted to be at whatever time and everybody would kind of show up there and support it. Verboten, how about that? Uh, you know, Jason Narducci? Oh, yeah. Verboten. That, yeah, you that's stuff. Verboten. Or Verboten, yeah. No, just Verboten. It's just Verbo? Yeah. yeah. Well, they had Verbo, but I thought he started a band when he was like 10 or 11 and it was called Verboten. I could be wrong, but. No, I um, think you're right. Oh, you might be right. He's punk rock band, the one where he was like third, or you're right, like nine or ten playing. The bass. guitar is bigger than him yeah. at that point. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a cool. Uh, he's kind of like a like the whole scene in a microcosm. If you just were to boil it down to one person, it would be Jason, because now he's he's really successful working at with the Bob Mold Band, and he started like 40 years ago, but he's only like 48 years old. So. Oh wow! I didn't realize he had been, you know. I didn't realize he was in Verbo, and I didn't realize that he had done that before. That's crazy. Oh, you're right, Verboten. He is right. I Googled it as well. Dave Grohl paid homage and, to him on uh, the Sonic Highways miniseries. Uh, they, Dave Grohl yeah. was his um, video about the greatest elbows in rock and roll, too. Yep, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest elbows in rock and roll? Oh, yeah, you need to, you, you should Google that next. He's yeah, got some worth... sexy elbows. Well, I got to, you know. Extremely sexy. I'll do that after the show. I'll make a note. Don't let your wife catch you. <laughs> yeah, she'd be like, what are you doing? But actually, you're right. Jason's like, uh, he's like Zelig. Like, he plays bass in Super Chunk. <laughs> like, how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah, how would he end up playing with a band in North Carolina? Because Chicago reaches everywhere. I mean, oh, it does. He, the tentacles are long. We own everything. Well, I wonder if there's... So, Seam is considered a Chicago band, but didn't they start in North Carolina? Mm-hmm. So, I wonder if there's something going on there. Well, and, and John Worcester drums with Bob Mould, and Worcester right. is drummed with Super Chunk, too. Well, uh, Narducci uh, plays bass with Bob Mould with Worcester. That's how yes. they made it. Yes. Yeah. All of it's coming together. Somebody needs to get Narducci on the phone so we can get him on the show. <laughs> and probably at some point, Johnny Polanski introduced the two of them. Johnny Polanski? How did that name? What if we're... <laughs> why, why Johnny Polanski? Because Polanski's everywhere, too. Here's the thing people don't understand about Chicago. Like, our musicians are everywhere. We have infiltrated everything. It's like Hydra. <laughs> no, I just know Polanski from that first album, Hi, My Name is Johnny Polanski. Right, the, which and... was produced by Frank Black, which is how he met a zillion people. Right. I mean, there's a reason that a lot of Chicago people move out to L.A. Because they just bring all the L.A. talent back to Chicago. Well, it's because it's warmer. Well, <laughs> there's that. Okay, there's that. <laughs> Because Chicago is bitter, freaking cold in the winter. No, it's it's a dull It's terrible. Why do you think I'm in Florida right now? Exactly. No, I was there in January for one day for a business meeting and like stepped outside of the building to go get a Starbucks and almost got my face sheared off by the wind. It but also, so cold. why do you think why do you think our music seems so good? It's because we're all trying to get into large spaces with lots of people where we can get warm. <laughs> exactly. Just watch some music. So, in terms of not discuss the weather on our podcast, although that is that is an important aspect of this. Um, in terms of the bands that we only briefly touched on stuff from the 80s, Annie and Andy, do you guys have other bands that you think are relevant to, it, not necessarily influencing the sound, but influencing artists being able to put on shows and play in these you know venues? Like, I think, is the Double Door another one? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking like those types of places where maybe they're going to get a little bit more um, mainstream exposure as opposed to, you know, playing in a DIY, DIY sort of situation. Are there other bands that we should bring up from the 80s that are relevant to this discussion? I mean, I think you have to bring up Ministry because, um, I mean, they started in Chicago and, you know, basically in the early 80s, you know, Al Jorgensen was doing this like really awesome kind of gothic new wave stuff on his debut was Sympathy, which he's pretty much since disowned. But he, like, very soon then pretty much, like, revolutionized industrial music. Yeah. And, I mean, the impact that had on the entire Midwest, not just Chicago, 
is like you can like it's it's almost impossible to estimate i mean that's you know that's spread to cleveland with nine inch nails and everything that was going on here you know i mean all the bands that like he even spawned that al was in i mean just had this like huge thing i mean he like i mean i think he lives in texas now maybe he moved there some years ago but I think just in terms of the Chicago, you know, the gothic scene that's really strong there and the electronic music scene, I mean, I think ministry, absolutely. Yeah, I would say growing up in Cleveland, my first, I think, realization that Chicago had a sound was through industrial music, like in the late 80s, early 90s with ministry and pig face. And then, like you said, Annie, I cannot, you, it just, it was connected to Cleveland in some way. Like that whole thing was like you just industrial towns and the whole music yep. piece of it all fit together and it sort of represented right, that, the midwest that, that began like jesus lizard and u.s maple and like they got lounge jacks and empty bottle like we we embrace ministry but i i will admit as a as a denizen still of chicago we somewhat bristle at the idea of chicago being an industrial town like and even al like I will occasionally run into him at a place like Liars Club, and he will still fall off of his stool because the guy and his issues. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Did you, anybody read his book or no? I I read his book, and that was it was um it was eye opening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he pretty much like there were very few people that it seems like he actually likes from former bandmates to like people he's dealt with. Like he really oh, no, all no punches. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's funny because you got Chris Conley, who was in the band for two albums, and he's the opposite of Al. He's kind, he's warm, he he managed at the Reckless Record Store chain for a while. I remember and, buying records from him when he had those big dreadlocks, and just like, he was always nice. the sweetest dude. Yeah, he was working there up until about three or four months ago, and now he's doing uh, vocal lessons. But yeah, the guy couldn't be any different, and or any more different from Al, and but... If you read Chris's book, he's kind enough to not throw Al under the bus. If you read Al's book, he does throw Chris under the bus. So somebody yeah. took the high road, and that was Chris. But hmm. I remember in high, like in high school, you know, this would have been the, the early '90s, late '80s. I mean, all the kids in art class who were into industrial music all wanted to move to Chicago when they graduated. Like that was how they identified with what they, you know, what I mean, like what was well, going yeah, on. We, we we had Medusas. You didn't. What is that? Oh, Medusa's? That was the yeah. all-ages dance club that was, um, like... Or, or Neo. Um, everybody played there. Uh, Thrill Co Cult would play there all the time. It was the kind of place where you could go. I actually blew off the Smashing Pumpkins record release party for Gish to go dancing Medusa's, because I was like, that's going to be a better time. Uh, wow. How do you feel about that now? Was it was it worth it? Oh, totally. It was way <laughs> more fun. That's a good segue, though, because in talking about Chicago and somebody brought up Jesus Lizard, um, it does seem like there is a strain of music that's a little bit heavier from Chicago, but is still melodic. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, like the Pumpkins heavy band, still melodic. Um, there's a, a big metal scene in Chicago that's sure. existed for quite a while. Right. Well, it no, it still exists. Like you still have Indian and uh, Pelican. Yeah, exactly. And that seems to be maybe not directly connected, but there seems to be a, a heavier sound with a lot of the bands in Chicago, as opposed to Seattle or Boston in the 90s. And I'm wondering if you guys agree that some of that is derived from the heavier sound of, of ministry and some of the other industrial bands. And maybe these bands not necessarily taking the drum machine aspect of those bands, but at least taking the aggression and, and the volume um, of a lot of these bands and, and sort of forging it to a, a, a alternative rock sound. Cause I don't see when I, when I listen to like the pumpkins, I don't necessarily hear a, you know, they, they would in the nineties, they got lumped in with like the alternative bands from Seattle, but they, to me, they never sounded that way. The, the guitar tone never sounded you know, it doesn't sound the same, like Siamese Reed doesn't sound anything like 10 to me. So here's something nobody really talks about, and I think it's like the secret to Chicago is the fact that it's not industrial that drives us. Uh, I think it's Cheap Trick. Like, it's actually late 70s Cheap Trick, because if you listen to Local H or Triple Fast Action or 
material I, I, issue. Any yeah, material it's like any number of bands, they all have a super heavy melodic pop edge, but they also like playing the guitars really loud and they like beating the drums really hard. And it's not an industrial thing. I think it's actually that we just really, really love pop. Hmm. But just in a way that's really aggressive. thought about that but uh that makes sense in terms of uh so many they're even bands. so yeah they're even so called a huge influence on the pumpkins which i don't hear as much i hear the cars more in the pumpkins if they go pop but uh yeah cheap tricks got their fingerprints on everything out here pretty much and i feel like you hear from most of the bands they'll reference cheap trick at some point right, right. I, and, I mean and i know and he's right. I mean, the Pumpkins even covered uh, a Cars song on the uh, B-sides of the Sammy's sure. Dream stuff. Uh, so Airplane Flies High. Yeah, yeah. that box set. I, I think I think that's the point I'm trying to make, though, is that we're a pop-oriented town. We're just very loud about it. So I would agree with that. That's that's interesting. It's almost uh, two different like uh, opposite ends of the uh, musical spectrum. Because power pop, as a sort of a standalone genre didn't actually do I don't think well in the 90s in comparison to you know the other what do you want to say grunge or harder music you know power pop was sort of Matthew Sweet's territory and that was about it but like a lot of other bands didn't you know other than maybe a random single here or there it didn't it didn't really break through yeah, there's a great band called Shoes that sold probably about 400 albums because Power Pop was not the taste du jour in the 90s. Well, actually, that Shoes album, is, isn't that 78? Well, yeah, yeah that's more 80s, seven, late 70s, that's true. But Shoes had one of the first, like, they had a video on the first day of MTV, even. Did they really? Nice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, once again, Chicago dominates. <laughs> so you got the wax track sound, then you got the power pop, and then about 1989, 1990, you get the no depression, the alternative country scene with, you know, Uncle Tupelo and that's that bread, you know, a dozen I mean, bands yeah, in itself. It, I know, but but Uncle Tupelo was from St. Louis, right? Belleville, yeah. well, Belleville, Illinois, right? But they called St. Louis home, I think. Yes, yeah, they both live, you know, because. They were all sort of like Jeff would work at St. Louis for yeah, record stores. I mean, they played like lounge act so often. I mean, Jeff actually married the owner, so yeah, sure. We're going yeah. to take Jeff as our own as well. And they're a Chicago band. Wilco yeah. is now a Chicago band, right? Wilco, Wilco is considered a Chicago band. I can tell you though that every single St. Louis listener would pretty much start sending you hate mail <laughs> nice. if you said Uncle Tupelo is from Chicago. <laughs> well, if I'm in Montana, then Belleville is Hawaii, right? That is yeah. true. That is correct. <laughs> Uh, well, I hadn't really thought total about other scene. Yeah, I would not have thought about the that whole new, no depression. What were some of the other bands? Uh, you know, outside of were there other acts that were? Yeah, you had around? like Eleventh Dream Day. You had Freak Water, yeah, which Freak was part Water. of that. Um, uh, Dyslexic Apaches, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Calexico, oh yeah, Red Red Meat. Okay, that's all off the top of my head. So you've mentioned. Uh, I want to get into a little bit of the the venues. So we mentioned the Metro, Double Door, Lounge Axe. What were some of the other places that you would see a lot of local bands in terms of Chicago being, you know, not necessarily like unsigned bands, but like if you're going to see like Farouk Assault play early shows when they're on Mint, uh, where would you go to see them playing? Would it be these type of places? You go to Thurston's. Thurston's was the bar that like, Brugasol played at, Triple Fans actually played at, Lickle H played at, Muchacha played at. That was like the bar. Everybody that went there would then go to Liars Club afterwards and drink until six o'clock in the morning. Like that was that was the Chicago scene in the I, I would say mid to late nineties. How about Club Dreamers, which is now Nick's, right? Dreamers Dreamers was way before that. Um you would see um maybe Guar there. 
Um, and Nirvana's then, first Chicago show too. Huh? It was Nirvana's was, first show it? in Chicago. Yeah. That's amazing. And now it's Nick's right on Milwaukee. Right? I know. I used to bounce there, uh, strangely enough. Nice. You were a bouncer. Whoa. I am, a big, I, I, I am 6'2". Oh, okay. <laughs> it, is it anything like Roadhouse or no? Totally. Um, <laughs> wait, wait you see my roundhouse kick. Nice. We might be getting off subject here, though. Yeah, we are getting off subject. So in addition to the those types of venues... One of the other key elements I think of a scene is the record stores. Reckless came up. What were some of the other places in the in the late '80s and '90s that were key to supporting Chicago bands? Like, if you wanted to pick up, you know, the first EP by some Chicago band that eventually got signed to a major, where was that? Who was who was stocking that? Wax Tracks had its own store on Damon, right? It's before my time, but I've heard all the stories about it. Um, there was the one on Damon. There was also, they used to have, the original one was by Demon Dogs, the old Demon Dogs. Nice. Which was awesome because you go there and then you'd go to Demon Dogs and they would play nothing but Chicago the entire time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then catch the L, right? Yeah. Yep. But yeah, I mean, a uh, little small independent place called Tower. I don't know if you... No. <laughs> Has anybody seen the Tower documentary? No. I have. Yeah. I like Really it. good. Yeah. I have it, it, it on my was list. interesting because I, I just interviewed Rick Addy from Shake, Rattle, and Reed, which is another cool spot, um, which is going out of business. But he he told me stories about how when Tower came in, it really hurt him, how they were charging just a dollar less but selling enough volume where it really hurt him. But then I say this documentary, he should watch it because then you see when Tower catches it in the late 90s with the advent of Napster and then the whole collapse, they caught it, you know, 15 times worse than Rick did, so... In terms of 90s bands, we talked about a lot of 90s bands, Triple Fast Action, Fig Dish, Pumpkins, Fruit Salt. Those are the ones that people are going to kind of know, especially people who have listened to this podcast. We've already either reviewed those bands or talked about those bands in Subway. What were some of like, and Urge Overkill, we've reviewed an Urge Overkill record. Um, What were some of the other bands that maybe were just a step below, like maybe were on a, a local label, but were really you know they drew really well they sold t-shirts and records locally but they just never quite made that leap that to the the jump to the major label that gave them national exposure but well like for instance material issue almost made that um then you think of like lower down the tier like sarge was a band that would always sell it they could sell out metro but like they never got a national following then we have the 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 super outsiders like Wesley Willis, like he would play shows. Oh yeah, sell out and he was from Chicago. Yeah. Oh yeah. I saw him at uh, CBGB's. Oh my God! You have nobody. You Ninety-six. Have, how many times I've been headbutted by him with say raw. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I only got it once. That's crazy. This band played at the Empty Bottle. About two hundred eighty people were at the show. The rock show was whooping it up. The rock show was burning a monkey's ass up. Chicago that I was never really a fan of, but I kind of think that they deserve a bit of a nod is the Lupins. Like they actually, the, the, the singer and the bassist got a, got a gig DJing Q101 for a while just because they're kind of like part of the scene. I got one from out here in the suburbs, Kleenex Girl Wonder. Anybody oh, yeah. familiar? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Great albums. It's kind of like a one man band. Graham Smith, um, Went to school right out here in Downers Grove. But, yeah, it's it's kind of like if you like guided by voices, but throw in some emo, throw in, like, some humor. It's it's just – and he also started when he was 15 years old and was putting out his own CDs at high school. So it's an interesting story, and he's still doing it to this day. Yeah. I, also, I also have to give a tip of the hat to someone like Chris Holmes. Um, he did Yum Yum and Ashtar Command in Chicago. Nice. Um, Yum Yum was a great orc pop band. 
and the Asteroid Command was kind of like a spacey thing. And he's since moved on to LA, and now um, his his day gig is DJing for Paul McCartney. But like, but like, if if you go back and listen to those early Yum Yum albums, they're great. Like it was, it, it's truly great stuff, and it's just a testament to what Chicago could produce that was outside of the angrier, louder, poppier stuff. It was just beautiful things. Here's a funny story. Around like 97, we would ride our bikes to Circuit City. And uh, there was this cool dude with long hair in the music section. Yeah, they had a music section at the time. And uh, he would just turn us on to cool music and uh, said, hey, if you guys like that, you should buy my band's album. And it was Greg Corner from Kill Hannah. And uh, yeah, he turned he turned us on to dozens of awesome bands. And then, of course, he left that and I'm not a humongous fan of Kill Hannah. I'll be perfectly honest on your podcast. Say, hopefully, but, uh, hopefully he didn't turn you on to Kill Hannah. Yeah, they're just uh, not my style. But the guy well, himself was well, a solid I mean, dude. And, I think yeah. the more appropriate term is awful. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Not being politically correct here on the Dig Me Out podcast. Uh, there was a band that in researching this, uh, and if people want to go to our Dig Me Out Spotify account, there's a... A, a playlist for Chicago bands that I discovered called Tar. Anybody familiar Hell with that yeah. band? Yep. Yeah, they they were sort of they were kind of electronicy, right? Am I thinking of someone else? I think you might be thinking of someone else. This was pretty solid, like grungy rock kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, more sludgy. Yeah, but a little heavier. Yeah, uh, but still could find some melodies in there that were interesting. That was a band that I discovered in listening to it and there are other ones that uh escape me at the moment but uh, that playlist will be up when this episode is posted so our listeners can go and i picked uh basically went through every band that put out an album in the 90s i could find on spotify from chicago and picked a song from each album so um i I can't wait to hear this yes Did, did you get um did you get caviar on there please say you did uh i don't know are they on spotify I, I don't know. No, I, I, I guarantee you they're on Spotify. Caviar is awesome, and oh. they talk about a band that, like, absolutely, like, needed to be, like, huge. They were, like, so far ahead of their time. Jay, weren't you a big fan of Caviar? I don't know, but I think they came up at one point. Have we maybe toyed with interviewing well, caviar, somebody from caviar, the band? Caviar was Big Dish. That's what I was going to say. It was, like, okay. like, future project. And then he went off to be... Um, God, what was the band he was in with Scott Lucas where they were like a dance rock band? It's the Prairie Cartel, right? Yes, yes. And now he's in... Oh, it's killing me. He's in a new band that's actually tremendous. They're like great. But they almost never play because they're all, you know, older and just too busy to actually play shows. What are you saying? When you get older, you're... Got responsibilities of life weighing down on you and you <laughs> I can't wouldn't play know the shows. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, I just thought of another scene, too, in the early 90s. How about um, post-rock, like uh, Tortoise, all that sort of stuff from Soma Studios? What do you say, Drag City, Thrill Jockey? Yeah, all that stuff was kind of its own scene, right? Yeah. No billboard hits, but still a scene. And and Bottle, which is then begat Talia Hall, which which are great, great scenes. But you're right. And also... um, I think Slint kind of started it, right? Or yeah, they and, were from Louisville, but came up here, right? But it all came from uh, Rainbow Club. I feel like Rainbow Club is the nexus. Yeah. Like everybody drinks at Rainbow, then goes to play at the empty bottle, and then goes on to pass out. <laughs> nice. Apple Music has made two official playlists for Chicago, and the one is the obvious one. All the bands we talked about. The second one is Poke Rock, Post Rock Fusion, <laughs> which is Tortoise. <laughs> Chicago oh. underground duo Sam Precop, Jeff Parker, Brokeback, yeah. U.S. Maple, Astro Del Sol. Oh my God, uh, are, are are the eggs on there? No, Isotope two one seven. Yep. And when I listen to it, it's there's a lot of like kind of jazz influence, right? Dave Paso. Uh, no, that, that we definitely our post rock scene is definitely jazz influenced, and okay. we do have a really that's the other. To have a set of Chicago that would be a whole nother podcast, but we have a super vibrant free jazz scene. Uh, think about Mike Reed is one of the main bookers of Pitchfork Music Festival, and Mike Reed is an amazing jazz musician. So his ethos kind of flows into the Pitchfork booking, 
while still trying to keep it somewhat mainstream. But you have other guys like uh, I could go on. <laughs> like I said, it's, it could be a whole other podcast. The the amount of like free jazz awesomeness we have going on is just mind bending. Anybody remember Bobby Khan? Oh fuck yeah, yeah. Bobby Khan's awesome. Nice. Bobby Who's Khan Bobby Khan? Like, fill us in. He's like the he's like Michael Jackson meets David Bowie. Yep, basically. Huh. Just like an amazing voice. Yeah. K a h n. K o c o n n. C o n. Oh, okay. And we're just covering, you know, the Chicago music scene is is vast and deep. It goes back to, it has a deep roots in blues and and jazz and whatnot. And it was a huge influence on the Rolling Stones. And we're not even getting into any of that because we're just focusing on the '90s alternative rock scene, essentially, and and some of the, you know, the the post rock of Tortoise is still relevant today, and oh. still influencing. You know, they just put out an album like. A month ago or two months ago. Yeah. So um, I'm sure there'll be people that are like, you're completely dismissing, you know, this whole aspect, but that's not our focus. We're trying to just understand what the scene was like in the 90s for for our purposes for this podcast. I mean, mentioned Liz Fair. Yeah. Well, we're going to because we need to talk about your story about uh, hitting on Liz Fair. (laughs) Anyway, like I said, Mention it. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> what? Wait, hold on. We covered this in another podcast. In, in, he was in, asleep. He fell. He, he took a snooze. It's yeah. It, it, if somebody, if, last time Jim was on, we talked about uh, Jim uh, making the making the moves on Liz Fair before she was when she was still a brunette. And well, just let let's move on. <laughs> But we, no, I think it's important to talk about Liz Fair just for a minute in terms of she was really the catalyst in a lot of ways for the the movement of female artists that would sort of culminate in around the 95, 96 era when there was sort of this, you know, there's always been a, a separation between female artists and male artists in terms of uh, uh, how radio is constructed and how you know, now like with touring, but you didn't right, but have that. Talk, if you're going to talk about Chicago, um, Liz Fair was along with Urge Overkill was the catalyst of like, who is indie and who is not. Yeah. Because sure. They basically created the schism where it's like Steve Albini took a side. He used to produce Urge Overkill and he, he basically threw them over the, over the railing of the ship. And he was like, I will not deal with these people anymore. And it was like, there was a brief period of time in Chicago where there was, kind of a war going on between the bands and to be honest from a fan standpoint I could never understand it because it just seemed stupid but they you, took it very seriously like a, you mean like bands they were perceived to have sold out yes okay like, the idea was Urge Overkill and Liz Fair bad hmm. Jesus Lizard good but Albini turned his back on them as well yeah eventually yeah doesn't he <laughs> turn his back on everybody eventually eventually Steve hates everybody Hmm. That seems so, like ridiculous now, that that there was this that there were controversies about who sold out and who didn't, and I don't know. That doesn't seem like a discussion that's had anymore in in music. No, because, because I mean, everyone now, wants to sell out, right? Right. Wilco puts out an album, and the half the songs are already licensed to Volkswagen, and nobody really cares because we we now understand that. That's how a band has to make money. So it's, yeah. it's no longer a, a trade-off of commerce and art. It was a much bigger deal in the 90s across oh, the board yes. in every city. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was kind of the whole premise of the whole, you know, whatever you want to call it, grunge revolution or however you want to commercially define it. But, right, it was like basically everything that's occurred before this day is now under, is no longer cool and we will accept you back if you prove yourself. Totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, they wanted to pick us as the next Seattle is what was going on around 93. I took a, a bus tour of the Chicago rock scene. Um, this guy takes a bus tour every weekend, takes people around to like the Metro, to Liars Club, to all these different places and points out, you know, where Wax Tracks was and all this stuff. And he said that Billboard published an article in the summer of 93 saying that we were the new, uh, we were the new Seattle. And then suddenly... We got a ton of press that year, and then it lasted about 12 months, and then they were on to the next thing. Is that is part of that bus tour? So uh, across the metro is where Greg Dully puked in the alley, <laughs> and, uh, working at the door. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> I think Columbus was the next Seattle in around 1995. So that's the that's the order we're going to do our roundtables, right? We're going to go to whatever the next Seattle was, right, at the time. Coming up next, Austin is the next Seattle for <laughs> September of 1994. <laughs> yeah, Detroit, 1997. Detroit. Yeah, what other what other cities? That would be that would be a whole episode. What other cities were the next Seattle? Well, it's Austin, weird because like yeah, then, then this it, it turns into not being a city anymore about the year 2000 because everybody's connected via the internet. So it's right. not like in 2016. There's no city that's really you know having a huge scene. It's the whole whole country or the whole world actually that's a good if anybody wants to write a book i don't have the time right now but uh there should be a book called the other seattles and it should it should be a chronology of every time somebody used this is the next seattle and then you actually talk about what that city was and why it never ended up being the next seattle all right guys i'll race you do pitch that to 33 and a third (laughs) yeah I'm, I'm, first gets gets I, gets the diamond. I'm I'm done with uh, pitching my failed ideas to the thirty-three and a third people. I I have not come up with the, the right uh, angle. I guess I'm still them. waiting for Saint Anger. Yeah, <laughs> I hundred percent support the Saint Anger uh, book. I even I I uh, we're we'll, we'll publish it if we if, if uh, thirty-three and third doesn't want to do it. I gotta I gotta read it. I just gotta read it. That's why. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm so curious. I am. That's how he defends it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that snare sound. Exactly. And uh, I I, uh, actually heard this is totally diverting, but why it's out there. I heard the story on that. That is the snare he used like when he was when they started the band. Like they went back and got the original drum kit he had in the garage. he's He's literally never tuned it. Yeah, it. yeah. They're just like that. Sounds terrible. We're gonna use it. It sounds pingier than the guy from Three Eleven. Yeah, it's you know it's the it's the snare drum that you know every kid who starts to play drums has. It. It sounds awful. And they made a it's, whole record around it. it. Sounds like that drum pad they give you to bring home when you take drum lessons or something. <laughs> right now, Eric Grubbs is seething as he's listening to this. Just kidding, Eric. I love you. We all love Eric. By the way, if you Google the next Seattle, the top result is Seattle is the next Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going full circle. Oh, wow. Excellent. I think what we need to talk about now is the legacy of Chicago and its scene in the 90s, which produced a whole lot of bands, um, some that are well-known, some that are moderately well-known. Um, obviously, like the Pumpkins are, are a well-known band. I think... Is it safe to say that the Smashing Pumpkins are the most well-known band to come out of Chicago in the '90s, in terms of overall, you know, album sales and you know influence, and people knowing the name? And then maybe you'd have like Rook Assault after that. Well, I mean, you really want to talk album sales? Because if you're going to talk album sales, then we have R. Kelly. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> we don't discuss R. Kelly on this podcast. R. Kelly is like our. But yes, I, th- I think as far as alt rock goes, um, yeah, the Pumpkins were the biggest in the '90s. By far, they have a diamond record, right? Ten, ten million. I uh, I found a website called Ranker. Didn't know this existed, but they just rank things, and they have a list of uh, the most famous bands from Chicago, and they rank them by level of fame. However, so you is, figure is that it, out. Is it Chicago Sticks, the Pumpkins? No, it's Kanye Survivor? West. Kanye West is one. Oh, yeah. Pumpkins is two. I'll just give you the top five. Chicago is three. Sam Cooke is four. And Disturbed are number five. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> uh, outranking such artists as Muddy Waters, Oko, <laughs> you know, Fallout Boy. Muddy Waters. Will, but a story about Muddy Waters is. I'm living in his death place, Westmont, Illinois. He came out here, lived for a couple years, and passed away here. So that's oh, I thought our, you that, meant like in his house. That's our claim to fame. I guess the Rolling Stones would be playing a gig, and he'd invite them to come out to Westmont, and Mick Jagger would say no 99% of the time, except he came out once or twice or something. Or they had a wedding out here, and they had Clapton and Jagger came out to the suburbs. So that's our one claim to fame. Is that on the like the sign when you roll into the city? <laughs> the, the place where famous people like to die? <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, 
So I guess after Pumpkins, Wilco would be number two in terms of, I mean, they're still around. They so have... that's, actually a good, that's actually a good question. Um, has Fall Out Boy actually sold more albums than the Pumpkins? Oh, I hope not. I don't think so. No, no. I think Smashing Pumpkins sold a lot of records. But Fall Out no. Boy has had a lot of massive albums one after another. The Pumpkins had two. Yeah, but nobody buys and, records no, anymore. Yeah, I guess two. Yeah, nobody buys. Yeah, that's it's tough. I'd be interested to see that, but I, I'm thinking it's got to be the pumpkins because in '95, how many units were sold? That was millions and millions. And I mean, yeah, between Siamese Dream and Melancholy, those two records alone gotta have gotta outsell the entire catalog for Fall Out Boy. I'm looking right now at yeah, Fall Out like- Boy's platinum. Oh yeah, riaa.com. They have all the gold and platinum. Oh sure, yeah. They, they probably have, have of- more more hit singles, right? Yeah, they have bigger singles, but. From under the cork tree is only two times platinum, <laughs> which is surprising, actually. Only, yeah. Nice. Jim, have you ever met Pete Wentz? Uh, yes, and actually, <laughs> the, douche uh, nozzle or no? Huh? Douche no. nozzle or no? I'm I'm gonna have to say the guys in Fall Out Boy are actually really nice dudes. Yeah, I've interviewed them. Every single one of them, they're all really super nice. They they actually like music, which is kind of refreshing. Here's, here's the crazy thing. Uh, when Pat, when they went on hiatus, Patrick sent me an email with a video of him playing like all these different instruments to do a song, and I didn't know it was actually him, <laughs> so I kind of passed on it. And then he sent it to Spin, and they they put it up, and Pat's like, "Why didn't you post my video, man?" I'm like, I didn't know that you were actually you because you lost so much weight. I didn't recognize you. Aww. Like, but they are all very, very, very nice guys. I can't say anything bad about them. Like of all the of all the like super huge people to come out of Chicago, they are the nicest. Like Billy Corgan, I've had good times and very bad times with him. Like he's all over the place. But the Fall Out Boy guys have always been super solid. Cool. So what are the bands since the 90s that have followed in their foot, uh, the footsteps of these bands? I, I guess Fall Out Boy would be one of them. You know, they're, they're, I guess you put them in as a 2000s band. Right. Um, what other bands uh, have made an impact following this scene of the 90s? Like, really? like actually currently active? Either they were in the 2000s and they did some stuff and they went away or they're still active or they've come up in the last couple of years. I mean, Rise Against. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They were uh, huge. For me, there's um, there's three bands. There's this band called The Kickback, which is amazing and kind of plug into everything that was great about Chicago. Another band called Archipelago the Exports, which are also, I don't know how to describe them outside of being like, it sounds like the inside of a, a blackout drunks fever dream, but they're great. And super poppy, and with a, with like a touch of Tom Petty, and uh, this other guy Daniel Wade, who's just he's he's more on the cheap trick like super power poppy thing, but like they're the guys that I that I hear like coming, keeping the scene going, like the sound going, like what I view as Chicago. Mm. Andy, any for you that are Chicago bands that you champion? Yeah, from post two thousand, it gets to, it gets difficult for me. From bands that have been just formed post two thousand, I'm trying to think. Annie, you can you can take a take a whack at it. Oh man, I'm trying to think because a lot of those bands played in St. Louis. I think is it the band? Was it the 1900s? Yep. The band. Yeah, I really liked them, and they were sort of like just like really well crafted indie rock. But I was a big fan of them. And honestly, Jason Narducci's band Split Single. It's yeah. really, really good. It's just like really like well-crafted power. Actually, kind of what we we're talking about, power pop is sort of an aggressive edge. That's just like really great songwriting. I got I got some for you. What about OK Go? Oh, fuck oh, you. Yeah. That's right. They are from Chicago. I always forget that. 
Yeah, and the funny thing is, I, I constantly write about OK Go and I constantly like trumpet their um, just what a great band they are because I'm kind of angry at the fact that they do great videos and that's all that people think about when it comes to that band. Yeah. I, I uh, OK Go was my recessional music at my wedding, so. Nice. Hmm. Now that when they, when they do those videos, I'm almost like, it kind of hit me when they did the last one where they're in space or whatever. Right. Doing like, that. And I'm like, God, these are so like brilliantly creative. But then the other part of me is like, my God, this is what bands have to go through to get people to listen to their music. <laughs> right. Like they have to put themselves in space and, and God knows what. <laughs> On like, treadmills. God knows what, you know, costs to make that video just to get people in this country to watch a to listen to music. I'm like, I think in their case, actually, Damien's just such a restlessly creative kind of dude that he just wants to do that sort of thing. Yeah. Like, whatever. The rest, like, they have enough money that they can keep creating albums. Like, they're not hurting. At this point, he's just kind of like, I just want to do weird stuff that excites me. Which is the Chicago way. few other uh, Chicago bands of the of the post Y2K uh, Andrew Bird isn't yeah. he a Chicago he was, guy? Oh yeah um, Smith Westerns eh Alkaline Trio they're fine eh. <laughs> eh. wow you guys how about Plain White Tees guys how about them eh, oh. eh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll just do sounds we'll grunt okay <laughs> <laughs> Chevelle. <laughs> so I'm not getting a lot of positives. It seems like the scene might have sort of fallen off a little bit. Well, you know what? This, you, you know what band that I liked was like Scotland Yard Gospel Choir, and right. I think they're like, broken up. But they were there's a lot. There were actually a lot of really good bands. They were just sort of smaller, like actually like Noise by Numbers. Are yeah. you guys familiar? Like I love that band, and I think I think they had maybe a record out. In the last couple of years, maybe, but like, yeah, no, think, actually, they haven't had a record since 2011. I think the direction is, is it's not that the scene is, is like dying out. It's that we don't really care about the guys that sell a lot of albums. The scene is right. doing super yep. great. Like, we've got a great power pop underground. We've got a great hip hop scene going on right now. We've got a great, like, DIY scene. We've got a great jazz scene. Just, we don't really care about Chevelle. I mean, they're fine, but we don't really care. I also think it's important to note that a lot of people who, although they, their bands weren't from Chicago, they were either born and raised or spent a lot of time in their youth in Chicago, like um, Tom Grohl. Morello. Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl, Eddie Vedder, Kim Thayall, Adam Jones from Tool. Yep. Those are all guys that were from... And we can't... You know, there's a couple of... Um, Cap and Jazz, that's yep. a you know oh, yeah. important emo band to discuss. They're in my list, my my playlist. On, uh, can, you, can you really say the words "important" and "emo" in the same sentence? Whoa! I am totally kidding. Totally. <laughs> Tom Mullen's gonna <laughs> find you. <laughs> He's gonna hunt you down. He gave the most impassioned defense of emo. I ever it was it was moving in that episode we did yes definitely uh that was a great episode we got a lot of positive feedback on that on that episode I think we've covered it I think we've we've done our our overview of Chicago a a positive service I mean I'm on vacation in Florida and you made me homesick to go right back home there you go you gotta charter a jet and get right on back well only if it's Billy Corgan's jet (laughs) <laughs> hmm. Does he have his own? Does he have like a like? No, the, he does not have his own private jet. You like never the, know. Like the I Iron Maiden jet too. If you need a tea house, he's got one. I mean, 
He has his cats have a private jet, but he does not. Uh, <laughs> uh, we can say whatever we want because we're never going to speak to Billy Corgan on this podcast. I, so I do have to say that uh, looking through this list of Chicago bands, there's a there's a disturbing amount of no pun intended uh, dumb metal bands from Chicago. <laughs> We call, we call that the South Side. That's a macho scene too. There was some macho Soil. bands. Yeah. Like there's like every ten, there's at least one in here. So, some cringeworthy Dope. metal band. I mean, there's some great metal bands like Russian Circles. I love that band. But then right below them is Soil. How about Static X? <laughs> Are they from Chicago? I guess the guy died, so we shouldn't make too much fun. Yeah, but he, they were he, pretty shitty, right? They had their moments. They they were kind of they were a little better. They did a really great cover of Berlin's The Metro. Nice. Oh, that's a good song. Wayne they, yeah, they seem to have a little bit more of like aware self awareness. Yeah. And bands. to tie it all together, guess who we had a band with in like '87? Billy Corgan. Billy Corgan. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wayne Static oh. had a band with Billy Corgan like when they were kids, right? Yeah. Like, or teenagers or something like that. Would have been high school. High school. Yeah. I'm a, I have a question about a band. I have a question about a girl. <laughs> what are what are girls like? Smoking they're, popes. They, they are soft and they smell nice. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard. Smoking popes. This is a band yeah. that I, I had never heard since Tim's playlist. And one of the songs kind of sounded like Morrissey. And then yeah. the other one oh, sounded oh, like yeah. more power just- poppy. Josh Cater would totally embrace the fact that you think he sounds like Morrissey. Well, it was what they're driving. Need you around. Morrissey's favorite albums too. I heard he wrote a list of ten albums that he likes, and Smoking Popes, Born to Quit, was on Morrissey's favorite album list. Actually, well, of course, Morrissey wants to hear himself sung to himself. (laughs) Very true. Jay, you don't remember that single "Need You Around"? That was like that was a pretty like buzzbin worthy single in the nineties. That was cross country. Clueless. Yeah. Yeah. It was on the Clueless soundtrack. Need you around? Yeah, yeah. need you around. <laughs> it was great. It's like not the screaming trees one. What? Need you around? No, nearly nearly lost you is nearly the, lost you. Okay, screaming totally tree up. song. You're, you're, ma- you're, ma- you're making this up. <laughs> not making it up. That's all right, Jay. I gotta add. I just you know, there's a whole bunch of other bands that I'm probably forgetting. So, um, people can feel free to to write in. We'll add more and more to the Chicago playlist. And keep that up for people to check out. And I've added actually uh, had a little free time recently, and I I did a whole bunch of playlists related to previous episodes. So if you want to go in and like our Kelly Scott interview episode, I added all the bands that he's played drums for, including the one Christina Aguilera song that he played on. I added uh, playlists for a couple other interviews that we've done, and then every there's like a, a wrap up of each season. So that was my um. That was my free time. I, I ignored my child so that I could get that done for all the people <laughs> out there. So hope everybody appreciates that. It was like the time I was unemployed and I got all like 200 of our episodes up on YouTube. <laughs> Tim was like, how did you do that? I was like, well, step one, be unemployed. Step two, <laughs> everything else makes its way after that. Yeah. Step two, stop bathing. Right. Don't shave. Avoid and, sunlight. Uh, avoid sunlight yeah yeah all right we're gonna wrap this up we've uh, exceeded our hour limit and that's fine we're happy to do so uh i want to thank our guests for joining us all returning guests all who have various activities going on annie where can we find you uh i know you that you have articles up at av club salon what's going on currently where else can we find you writing Ah, I write for Las Vegas Weekly, too, um, Alternative Press, um, Spin sometimes. Basically, follow me on Twitter, and that's sort of, I, I post everything, kind of what I'm up to. It's just Annie Zaleski. Excellent. Jim, I assume you're not doing any work right now. I hope I hope this is a, a not a working vacation, but we can find you at Chicagoist, correct? Correct. And you can also find me at uh, Tankboy on Twitter, uh, tankboyprime.blogspot.com. And, well, probably at the back bar at Double Door at any given night. <laughs> Excellent. And Andy, you just recently had an episode with uh, Mr. Uh, Jordan Zadarozny. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Jordan and Eric Matthews from the new band Shil- Shilum. 
People but, would know uh, Jordan from Blinker the Star. Sure. Probably. Eric Matthews had a couple albums on Sub Pop in the mid 90s. Yeah. Real, real cool guy. Recently, I had Lou Barlow. I had Jad Fair from Half Japanese. That was a real interesting chat. And uh, yeah, I've got a little network. And actually, one of our podcast hosts is Jesse Anderson, who is Billy Corgan's younger brother. So that's an interesting uh, listen as well. But oh. AndyDare.com Andy on iTunes, Twitter, all that stuff. Excellent. Of course, for everybody out there listening, feel free to uh, visit our Patreon page if you'd be interested in uh, joining us. We have uh, bonus content from episodes, advanced previews of upcoming episodes. You get to vote on our album reviews when we don't have requested reviews. And uh, it's uh, all for as little as a buck a month. There's no better deal out there for a dollar a month. And if you like what you heard, please consider leaving some positive feedback over at iTunes. You thank Annie, Jim, and Andy once again for joining us. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Big Me Out. Thanks for listening. You can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com backslash dig me out or requesting a review for the 2016 season at our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com I'm coming home I'm coming home